Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Hey folks, welcome to Raising Equity. I'm Dr. Kira Banks, and today I wanna share with you a controversy that's been brewing in Atlanta. And to be fair, I think it's a little dramatic to call it a controversy, but given the lack of capacity that we have in our society to hold nuance and complexity when it comes to the conversation about race, I'm not surprised that it's caused a bit of a stir. So we have a school in Atlanta, an elementary school, that's predominantly white, about 10% black children. And the principal is trying to be thoughtful about how children get placed in classes. So the second grade class is about 90-something kids. There's 12 black children. And this teacher has decided to cluster the children rather than sprinkle them across all six classes to say, you know what, let's let them have a critical mass. And the the principal has decided we'll put about 10 kids in each. Well, no, that wouldn't actually work. A good number of kids in each class. Uh, so they're not one of few. And so I think where this principal is coming from now, I haven't spoken with the principal, but I was asked to speak on the topic. Where they're coming from is the, is research that shows that doing this sort of kind of clustering, creating a critical mass can help kids and not just kids, but can help people not feel tokenized. So sometimes when you're the only, the only anything, it can feel like a lot of pressure, maybe even a burden. People might ask you questions about your identity, uh, that you end up being the spokesperson for that group. And so when you create this critical mass, that that responsibility is, is not just on one person's shoulders. And actually there's research to suggest that when there are uh, a cluster of people from a certain background, that they're seen more as individuals. So rather than, oh, it's the two black kids, it's there's 10 black kids, so I need to know each of them individually. And I realize the that they're not monolithic, that there's heterogeneity. And so there can be benefits for folks who are from that identity group that's being clustered and for those who aren't to break down some stereotypes. So let me zoom out for a minute from this particular situation. This happens a lot in uh, in higher ed. So first-generation college students, it's very common now that there'll be some sort of meetup or uh, some way in which students might come to campus early or have a support group or something that helps them feel connected to college and understand that they can they can persevere, they can make it through. So that's an example of, of finding ways to, to have people have a cohort experience. And so they might have like a section of bio biology that has a good number of first-gen students so that they can go through it together and not feel like they're the only. Uh, this also happens sometimes with cluster hires. So this can even happen outside of race. It can happen around gender. I mentioned first generation, maybe even uh, skill. So you might have oh, a cluster hire of folks who, you know, maybe you're maybe you have a team and you want to bring on a new skill set. So rather than bring one person with that skill set, you might bring a whole handful so that they also can have some synergy as they're working together and not have to be the only on the team. I think it's important to put this in context because there was a black parent who is taking legal action against this principal and saying, you know, you're segregating the students and you are discriminating against my child on the basis of race. This parent wanted their child to have a different teacher. And this is actually where I think things could have gone a different way. It sounds like the principal 
in describing what she was doing was saying, oh, well, I typically have these black classes where there's a good number of black students and so that they're not alone and proceeded to explain her practice. Well, I think the mother's red flag went up and was like, wait, black classes, as if the kids could only be in that cl those classes. And so this parent is saying, well, I, that th there are, my kid isn't given access to these other classes, only these two. But I, I really, again, I think we need to put it in context. We don't know the details. The principal maybe doesn't want to put their teachers on blast. There might be two teachers who are best equipped and have culturally responsive classrooms to support kids from all sorts of backgrounds to integrate the history of black folks from a non-deficit perspective into the curriculum to to be responsive and have the classroom be a vibrant place where they can feel engaged. Maybe there's even some race matching in terms of one of the teachers being a, a person of color. And so I say all this to say there's so many variables. It is complex that it is oversimplified to simply say because race was a factor that this principle is being discriminatory. Race is a factor and we can't we can't act like it's not. So I think about in the Baki decision, 79 affirmative action Baki decision, Supreme Court Blackman said we can't not take account of race until we take account of race. That there's some owning up that we have to do about race, about how race has shaped educational outcomes before we can just say, oh, we can't take account of it. So I actually think this principle was trying to be thoughtful, trying to protect the racial identity, the development of these black children in second grade and have them not have to carry the burden of being the one, the only, the one of few. And so the the mother who's taking this legal action is saying it's discriminatory and it has a negative impact. But there are also several other black parents who have spoken up to say, actually, I think the impact has been a positive one for my child. And I'm all for separating intent from impact. So the question is, what has been the impact? And if parents are saying writ large that it's had a positive impact, that's important to know. There's a piece of me having worked in schools that wonders, right, like did this parent just, you know, was there, did they want a certain assignment for their child and they didn't get it? And so have decided to kind of make this stink uh, because this is over a year old in terms of having this information about this practice. Regardless of the specifics of this incident, I think we have to put it in context in terms of public education in our society. In the United States, Brown versus Board was 54. But we know good and well, it took a long time to desegregate many school districts. I'm based in St. Louis, Missouri. It wasn't until the 80s that we had a deseg agreement. And part of the struggle, part of the struggle we had... We had educational experts come and testify in the state Supreme Court because they were basically saying you can't integrate St. Louis public schools. Why? Because white flight has been so stark that there are no white kids to integrate the school. It, it was a segregated school system because of white flight. And so the only way to truly integrate schools in St. Louis would have been to create a metropolitan school district and bus all the children. And so rather than do that, suburbs around the city said, oh, we'll take some kids, we'll take some kids. And that started the busing system in St. Louis. Different metropolitan areas have different stories of how desegregation happened and how it worked. But my point is we are not through the woods, that there are some school districts that are just as segregated, if not more, than they were post Brown v. Board. 
So this principal was grappling with the issue that we all are struggling with in terms of our segregated schools and trying to figure out how to in this in this school that would call itself integrated, but black kids have a very small representation. How does she support the development of those children? And so in that, I would say there's not one way to answer that question. How do you support these children? And classroom assignments is not the only way that these children can be supported, right? It's a both and. I want us to be able to hold the complexities and not just lob hurdle, like lob uh, bombs of you're discriminating because you're taking race into account. Race has shaped so many outcomes and experiences in our society. We must take race into account. And it's important for us to ask the question, are these children being supported? And so with that, I'll just say, I encourage you to, to, to know some of the history of your schools, what's happening now in terms of the racial integration in your school district, public, private, parochial, uh, what's the history? When did your state abide by the Brown versus Board of Education decision? What was that process? If you're in Missouri, there's a great book called The Unending Struggle by Haney, who was the Supreme Court justice that sat on the case that was brought to the Supreme Court to fight and finally get a DSEG agreement. And Ushatel, who was over the first voluntary interdistrict program that we had in, in the St. Louis metropolitan area. So it's a fascinating book that talks about the history of education in Missouri from, from before statehood even. So know the history, don't see things outside of context, like get messy, get contextual, get complex. And, and we all need to be willing to grapple with the questions of how do we continue to figure out ways in our, in our communities to have more integrated experiences, period. But then within our schools, how do we support integration? And then once integration happens, to know that representation is just the bare minimum, not just how are kids represented from different backgrounds, different racial and ethnic backgrounds, but how are they reflected in the curriculum? What is their experience once they're in those halls? All of those questions are important if, we, if we're serious about integration and supporting the, the well-being and the racial identity development of kids of color. So thanks for joining me on Raising Equity. You can find me anywhere you find your podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Kira Banks, Instagram and Facebook, Dr. Kira Banks, and at my website, kirabanks.com. Thanks for joining me on Raising Equity. Raising Equity.